but I want to dive into the message tonight. Um, so if you're, you're new with us or you're just starting to come, we've been going through, uh, every week we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been seeing what the Holy Spirit chose to reveal through Luke, that's the author of the Gospel, what the Holy Spirit cho- chose to reveal about who Jesus was. And so far we've seen that Jesus, uh, we've known him as the prophesied one, we've known Jesus as a man, we've known Jesus as worthy of your life, we've known Jesus as a preacher, and tonight we're going to be back to this idea that Jesus is worthy. If you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about being Jesus, uh, Jesus as being worthy of your life, I said that title is going to come up every so often, like it's a, a little mini-series that's going to happen in this gospel, and that We'll, we'll see that Jesus is worthy, and then we'll see what else that adds to it. And tonight, we are going to be talking about how Jesus is worthy of our worship. Hence why I wanted to make sure we had a chance to worship afterwards as well. I want to give you a chance to respond to everything that God says in his word tonight. So, we're talking about how Jesus is worthy of our worship, and, and I need to confess to you um, that I have not always been on board with this statement. Now, um, I'm not talking about like when I wasn't a believer and and when I wasn't following God. I'm talking about like after I had confessed Christ, after I had graduated college, and I was already a worship leader, a volunteer worship leader at this uh, small church in my hometown. Um, I had an issue with the idea of worshiping Jesus. Like my theology was messed up. Like I had this concept that like God the Father is who you're supposed to worship. And, And Jesus is his son and did his bidding and submitted to him. But we shouldn't be worshiping Jesus. And it, it didn't take long for a pastor to, to walk me through the countless verses in scripture that show that Jesus is indeed the one that we should be worshiping. That when we worship Jesus, we worship God. That God has bestowed upon Jesus the name that is above every name. That Jesus is the one in Revelation who we will bow down to and we will worship and adore for all eternity. Like, that's what I was shown in May of 2013. It, it changed my life. And I bring that up because I want you to know that this passage we're talking about tonight and walking through, this is just one instance. One instance of how Jesus is worthy of our worship and how scripture commands us to worship him. So this is, this is just a glimpse of it. So... Let's see that then. Like I say every week, go ahead and get your Bible out and, and open to Luke chapter 7. Whether that's a physical Bible or you got your device, turn to Luke chapter 7. And we're going to be spending our time in verses 36 to 50. And as you're getting your eyes on the text of Luke 7, we need to define a term real quick. We need to define what worship is. I think that's a a foundation we need to have as we dive into talking about how Jesus is worthy of our worship. So I'm going to make it super simple tonight. I'm just going to give you the definition and not make you read or think about it too much. In a general sense, when we say worship, we mean anything that that we ascribe worth or value onto. Anything we ascribe worth or glory or value onto. And that's the general sense when, when we say worship. And the world talks about worship. But... We're talking in a biblical sense here. And in a biblical sense, when we say worship, what we mean is anything that ascribes or gives worth or value to God. Or anything that ascribes and gives worth or value in something that's in place of God. The worship of God's people, it belongs to him. But we may give it to, to something 
else even. And it's not even that we need to understand just what worship is. One of the big things that we need to all have an agreement on is that we are created to be worshipers. And I, I don't just mean that like we are created to be a people that in our time and during certain times we will worship. I mean that we collectively, as God's people, have been made to do one thing. Like we have been given a purpose, and that is to worship God, to bring him glory. And I, you don't have to turn here. You can say turn to Luke, but I want to just show you real quick what the, the prophet Isaiah says about this. Like he makes it so clear. So in Isaiah 43... He's talking about, uh, he's saying that God says he's going to do these things, right? God is going to restore his people. God is going to fulfill their needs. And in this, while God is saying that, he's saying that he's going to do this in verse 7. To everyone who is called by my name, this is God speaking, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So right there, God is saying, I made those that are called by my name, I made them for my glory. And if that wasn't enough, just a few verses later, verse 21, so Isaiah 43, 21, he once again talks about his people, and he says that they are the people who I formed for myself, that purpose statement, they are the people I formed uh, for myself that they might declare my praise. In summary, we're glory givers. That's what we're created for. We were formed to give God praise, to bring him glory. Every single one of us is a glory giver. It's, it's in our nature. It's intrinsic within us. We can't help it. It's how we were built. It's our purpose in life. And the reason we need to talk about this tonight and acknowledge it is because we also need to acknowledge that we don't always do that. Right? We don't always give glory to God. We get misplaced. We give glory to the wrong thing. If you were here last year, you've been around our church any amount of time to hear me preach about worship, you'll know one of my favorite analogies is to talk about how we are flashlights. You know, what, what's the purpose of a flashlight? To shine light onto something, right? That, that's why it's built, that's why we have them, so that they will shine light onto something. Like, that is the purpose they fulfill. We're like that flashlight. We are meant to shine light onto God, right? We are meant to give Him glory. But unlike a flashlight, we just can't be like, Turn, our purpose can't be turned on and turned off, right? Our purpose as we live and breathe is to give glory. So the only thing you can do is shine that flashlight, but how we use it sometimes is we don't always shine the light on God, do we? Like we'll direct that light on anything that we might think would fulfill us in life, anything that we might want to worship that we think can fulfill what God can do in our lives. So that's, that's worship defined, that's our purpose of worship. And it's important to have that as we dive into this passage in Luke now. So let's go ahead and look at it. I'm going to read the full passage and then we're just going to go right into the message and see what Luke has for us to say about Jesus. So Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. 
Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So that's our passage tonight. I told you the title is going to be Jesus is Worthy of Our Worship. And, and there's two statements I want you to walk away with tonight. Like if you're taking notes, these are the, like the bullet points, right? These are the things I want you to note. Um, Jesus is worthy of our worship, and the first statement you need to know is Jesus is worthy of our worship no matter the time or place. Let's go ahead and, and set up the scene here a bit, right? So uh, this Pharisee, a, a Jewish hierarch named Simon, he invited Jesus to dinner. And this is not just like a normal dinner. This isn't like an informal, like get together. Hey, there's some guys coming to my house later tonight. I wonder if you wanted to join, maybe bring something to eat. Like this is a formal banquet. And the reason we know that is because it says that they were reclining at table. In Jewish culture, when you reclined at table, it was a formal party or event, a banquet in which you had specific invited guests that came. It wasn't just like a normal dinner in the living room, in the kitchen, at the table type thing, right? So we know it's this formal banquet. And the other thing we can guess and see is that it was probably pretty tense. Because at this point, there's already been six times, six times in the Gospel of Luke, that the Pharisees and Jesus have not gotten along. That Jesus has specifically called them out on something that they're doing, on them plotting to, to go against him, like... There's a good amount of tension, most likely, between the Pharisees and, and Jesus at this point. So we can start getting an idea for what's going on here. But in the midst of all this, a woman comes into the banquet. Which in, in our culture now, that'd, be, that'd just be weird, right? Like a woman you don't know just walking into your house to join you for dinner. That, that would be completely out of our culture. But in Jewish culture, actually that was not abnormal at all. Because for these formal banquets... Uninvited guests were allowed to come as long as they stayed against the walls. Like as long as they didn't partake at the table. Like it was normal Jewish custom and culture for, for that to be a thing. Because these are like formal party events. And they're sometimes things that happen over politics and things like that. So you get uninvited guests that come into these banquets. So these, this woman comes into the banquet, which isn't that odd. She is staying around the walls most likely because that was tradition. But what she starts doing after that is, is a little odd. Now... Um, I, I want you to just get an image for what this looks like. So I, I have an image here that's like just a drawing of what it would look like for them to recline at table, right? So they're reclining. Oftentimes there's these pillows. Their heads were uh, usually towards the host. So we can imagine that that would be uh, Simon the Pharisee that's going to end up being at the head of the table. But you can see where their feet are, right? Their feet are towards the walls. 
away from the table. And so this woman that's coming in, what does she do? She goes to Jesus' feet. And she worships him. That's what she was doing. She, she was worshiping him. Let's, let's look at the passage again and, and just see what she's doing bit by bit. It says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table, so when she learned that there, there was this banquet, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And, and we know later in the passage that she pours oil out onto his feet as an act of blessing. You poured oil upon somebody to, to bless them. This woman is worshiping, but... We also need to have an idea of what this alabaster flask was, right? So alabaster was a, uh, a mineral in which they stored often precious things in, um, like ointment, which is actually perfume, right? It's, it's something they would store perfume in. And in the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of John, they report a very similar circumstance where a woman is pouring uh, perfume upon Jesus' head. And they get upset because a bottle of perfume like that would normally cost around 300 denarii. Which I know probably doesn't mean much to you at this point, right? What, what denarii might be. But denarii is a full day's wage. That's how they measured it. Like one denarii would be worth an entire day's labor for you. And so I, I wanted to put this in Iowa terms, okay? I, want, I know some of you are living in Illinois right now. I apologize. But I live in Iowa, so I put it in Iowa terms. I wanted to put it in that. So the Iowa minimum wage is $7.25. So if you were to work eight hours a day at $7.25, in order to earn 300 denarii, you would have earned $17,400. So to give you an idea of what that perfume might have cost or that ointment that she laid upon his feet, it could have been in the ballpark of $17,000 to us. 300 days worth of wages. But that's just minimum wage, right? Not everyone makes minimum wage. A lot of places start just a little bit higher nowadays. So I was like, all right, what is like an average American job? McDonald's. Right, that, that's pretty acceptable place all throughout America. People can find a job. The average starting wage at McDonald's is $11 an hour nationally. I looked that up. $11 an hour nationally. So if you were to think about what 300 days of a McDonald's worker's wage would be, that would put that value at $26,000 in that little jar of perfume. And I say all this because the, one of the things we need to see is that her earthly wealth was of no concern to her when it came to worshiping Jesus. So that, that's the ointment. We'll get back to that. But what else did she do? It says that she went in there and she began to weep and she began to wet his feet with her tears. Which is probably a, an awkward thing to think about, right? It's sort of, sort of weird. But um, back then, the washing of the feet showed the blessing of the guests that were to walk into your house because your feet were dirty, right? Shoes didn't exist. Sandals what people wore. Um, it was a way to, to bless somebody. And she began weeping. And, and what does that say that she was willing to wipe his feet with her tears? It meant that the, the present company was of no concern to her when it came to worshiping Jesus what they might think about what she was doing to him did not concern her. So, so she is crying on his feet. We know that she pours oil on him at some point. And it, but it also says that she wiped his feet with her hair. Like her hair was down and she wiped his feet. 
It's another part of Jewish culture we need to understand. See, if, if she was a married woman, we don't know if she was married or if she was single, but if she was a married woman, to actually go out in public with your hair down was grounds for divorce. It was, it was grounds of disgrace and divorce because it's essentially like purposely going out um, undressed and like just taking off your wedding ring, right, and purposely becoming single. It, it's a way of disrespecting your husband. So if she was married, that in itself is a major disrespect. But even if she was single, right, so if she was single and she was showing up and she allowed her hair to be down, that shows a lack of social grace. That shows a lack of etiquette. That shows a lack of elegance or pride or beauty. And, and remember, this is a formal banquet. So let's put it in our terms. Showing up to a banquet like this with your hair down would be like showing up to the prom in sweatpants and a hoodie. It's just not the norm, right? It shows you don't care. It shows that you're not going to be a part of the, the social etiquette and the grace. And so what, what does that show us? It shows us that the social culture was of no concern to her when it came to worshiping Jesus. Now, I said three things, so I just want to repeat them so, so you know exactly what I'm saying about her worship here. Her worship, when, she, when she's doing this, it's saying when it came to worshiping Jesus, her earthly wealth was of no concern, the present company was of no concern, and the social culture around her was of no concern to her. The only thing that mattered was worshiping Jesus. And why were, all of, why, why were none of those things important? And why was Jesus so important? Because he was worthy of her worship. Because he was the only one worthy of her thought and praise in that moment. And what we can learn from that is your financial desires and your struggles and your hopes and your dreams, they don't matter in comparison to getting to worship Jesus. Like what other people might think of you, whether they're in the room or knowing that you're going to church or knowing that you're a Christian, that doesn't matter in comparison with getting to worship who Jesus is and being at his feet. What culture tells you is proper and loving and accepting doesn't matter when it comes to to worshiping Jesus and being at his feet. Because Jesus is worthy of it. And the other things are of no concern. And if your only opportunity to worship him means you skirt along the walls of somebody's house and sit at his feet and in front of everybody just pour out your love to him. If that's the only chance you get, that's the chance you take. And I hope as I'm saying this, you're just asking yourself, do I do that? Do I feel that way? Do I want that? Do I desire that? Do I value Christ enough in my life to want to do those things? That's the application for that point. Is that me, right? Jesus is worthy of my worship no matter the time and place. Do I agree with that statement and do I act like I believe that statement? Are you letting the, the people in the room dictate your worship? Are you letting the, the people that are speaking into your mind dictate your worship? Okay, so we've, we've talked about that first point, right? That Jesus is worthy of your worship no matter the, the time and place. And we've talked about this woman and, and how she's worshiping, but there's something we, we haven't covered yet, and that is why. Why is Jesus worthy? Well, uh, luckily Jesus answers that question too in this passage, and and he answers it uh, with, with a parable, with, with a story, with a, an example, an illustration. So go ahead and look back at the text with me. We're going to start in verse 41 here. 
We're going to go over the story again. It's, it says that a certain moneylender had two debtors, the two people that were in debt to him, and one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. So, you know, what, what's going on here? There, there's two men that owe a lot of money, right? And let's go ahead and use all the, the things that I talked about earlier for what denarii is, and we'll just put it in Iowa minimum wage again. Like there's a man that owes $29,000 to this guy, and there's another man that owes $2,900 to this guy. That, that's how we would relate it in today's minimum wage. So the, the, these two guys, and they, they can't pay it. They can't pay what they owe. They are beyond their own means to save themselves in this matter. They have no ability within themselves to save themselves from this. And so the person that they owe the debt to has decided to free them from that debt. And I pray this sounds familiar to you because this is the gospel. We owe a debt that we cannot pay. We have sinned against somebody that we cannot not do anything to make up for in our own. Romans says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Like it is not within ourselves to save ourselves. And so the one that we owe to has decided to pay it for us. That is the reason that Jesus is worthy of her worship. That's what he's saying there. That's why he brings up this story. Because he has something to say. And that something to say is the gospel. So Jesus asks, out of these men, which one do you think will uh, love the one who forgave them more? That, that, that's what he's getting at, right? Which one do you think is going to be more um, grateful that they have been forgiven of the debt? Is it going to be the guy that owes 2900 which could be worked off in a month? Or is it going to be the guy that owes 29000 And to that, the, the Pharisee answers, right? He says, well, the, the one that, that owed more. All that to say, the one who has true understanding of what they owed, the one who really understood how far gone they were, is the one who's going to be the most grateful for what has been received. And after, after he says that, Jesus goes into this comparison, right? And this is not a comparison that you ever want Jesus to make of you, but, it, but he goes into this comparison. And, and what does he say? He tells Simon, like, did you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, gave, or, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Like, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins are forgiven. Jesus is saying she's the one with the greatest debt. She's the one that's grateful. She's the one that understands. And what Jesus is saying is that she worships him because she understands that he's worthy. And he's worthy because he offers forgiveness. Just like in your life, he is worthy. And this is the second point. He is worthy of your worship because he saved your life. He saved your soul. There's not a single other being in the universe that can claim that upon you. But Jesus saved your soul. No one else can possibly do that. Why is Jesus of your wor worthy of your worship no matter the time and place? 
because he's worthy of your worship, because he saved your life. And, and that's not the, the only statement that he ends with here, right? Like, there's a, there's a whole other statement in here that needs to be evaluated. And I like to call these types of statements the litmus test. How many, out of question, how many of you know what a litmus test is? I realize every time I mention it, most people don't, actually. Okay, so a litmus test in, in like, in chemistry, um, I, like, I think we did it when I was in, like, high school. It's like this piece of paper that you dip into a substance, and it sort of tells you the quality of the substance, right? If it's basic or if... Uh, is it alkaline, if it's acidic or basic, right? That, that type of ability, it's a testing strip, right? A litmus test is something you use to test other things. It's a standard by which you can evaluate things. And I think that this next verse that we're about to read is a litmus test for our lives. Look back again at Luke seven forty-seven. It says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus isn't saying that because she loved much, her sins are forgiven. He's saying that he knows her sins to be forgiven. He knows her to be saved because she loves much. That's the evidence that she's been saved. That's the evidence that she's been forgiven because she loves much. Meaning, and, and if you're going to walk away with anything from this verse tonight, this is what you walk away with. Her love for Jesus, her desire to worship him, was directly related to the sincerity of her salvation. Her desire to worship Jesus and to love on him was directly related to the sincerity of her salvation. Like she worships and loves Jesus no matter the time, no matter the place, because she's actually saved, because she's like the man that owed all that denarii, the, the $29,000. She understands the depth of the debt that she owed to God. So, so let's apply this to us. Like this is the litmus test, right? Of, of like, I look at her and I think, do I love a lot? Like do I love Jesus much because I understand that I have been forgiven much? And for you, is your desire to worship directly related to your understanding of your salvation? Because those that, that truly desire to worship Christ have within them a true understanding of what he did for them. That Jesus, he hung naked and beaten and humiliated on a cross to pay for something that he did not do but that we kept on adding to him. That Jesus endured pain and humiliation to save us. And, and so, people that actually realize that, people that realize what he's been through, the humiliation he suffered, they don't care about being humiliated. They don't care about the time and place. They don't care about anything except they have the chance to thank him and praise him for all that he's done in their life. That they know that they were in debt and they are no longer in debt. Like that's the, that's the type of person I want to be, right? I would love for Jesus to say he loves much because he's been forgiven much. And so that, that, that's why, like, Jesus is worthy of your worship, no matter the, the time and place. Jesus is worthy of your worship because of what he's done. And, and the application and the response is, how are you going to worship? 
And I'm going to give you an opportunity to think through that as we worship. Like, I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come back up, and we're going to dive into these, these next two songs, and that'll end this time of, of worship and word. And, and I just want to tell you, here, here's what I'm not looking for. I'm not looking for you to pretend to worship passionately, right? I'm not looking for you to just all of a sudden start raising your hands when you don't normally raise your hands. I'm not looking for people to be dancing and twirling flags and things like that, right? That's not my heart. My heart is that in these next two songs, you would take some time to evaluate the sincerity of your understanding of what Jesus did for you and how you're going to respond to that. That you would evaluate where your life is and what he's done, and the debt he's paid, and that you would respond with authentic, sincere worship, whatever that may look like for you. That you would be like that woman who just took what she had and gave it to him. Poured out the ointment, weeped at his feet, whatever that looks like for you guys. I'm not looking for actions, I'm looking for your heart to evaluate where you are. So we'll take that time, I'll pray for us, we'll go through these songs, come back up and we still have our community to hang out for any time.